God, we, we just keep coming before you. We just keep coming to you. We keep showing our reliance upon you. We just ask that you would take this particular topic, just as some of you, <laughs> uh, some of the people in here have seen me kind of tap them on the shoulder and ask them to pray for the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. And that is what I ask for today. A very unique time, God, as you know, uh, in our church. So I just pray that you would use this to build a foundation of unity for our church so that when we step into the other topics, God, this will build uh, the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace so that we can move forward in peace with one another and a more effectiveness for ministry together in our partnership. God, just take all of this, take everything that I plan to say, and you lead, and you guide, and you teach your people. In Jesus' name, I ask. Amen. <clears throat> Kiddos. <clears throat> Kiddos, four through nine. If you have not followed this guy, if you have not left yet, go and follow that guy that's waving at you. Um, you know, when you look at a little kid, you know, you're, when you're looking at them, you realize that you're not necessarily looking as much at who they are now, but you're looking at who they're going to be someday, right? You're looking at them and, and, you're, and you realize that, that they are ultimately a person that's going to develop. You know, that God looks at us as kids. When he looks at you, he sees a kid, a kid that's developing. And I submit to you today that the Holy Spirit develops us into and, and develops our nature to mature us, to make us look like him. <clears throat> Excuse me. Jesus uh, spoke to his disciples and called them my little children. John uh, in following after his spiritual parent, Jesus, called his disciples in his letter, my children. And Paul in, um, Paul in uh, Galatians 4.19, he said this, My little children, for whom I am again in anguish of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. And in that, Paul not only shows us that to God we're kids, but he shows us what maturity looks like. What does maturity look like according to what Paul said? Until Christ is formed in you. So as we think about this topic that we're going to be getting into, we think about our maturity. We have to define maturity. Maturity is Christ. That's what maturity is. Maturity is defined by the person of Christ, the firstborn among, the firstborn human of a whole new creation. That we follow after him and we grow in his image. Jesus Christ, the new Adam. Turn to Romans chapter 8. Paul expounds on this a little bit more. Start in verse 29. Romans chapter 8, verse 29. 
And there's a lot of context before this. We'll actually come back to this passage. So we're going to kind of cut in in the middle of an argument that he's making. So verse 29, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed, here it is, to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom, he for, and those whom he predestined, he also called. Those whom he called, he also justified. Those whom he justified, he also glorified. So here we have this process of growth. We have this image of this final picture, and it's called glorification. What is glorification? Glorification is the process of our growth coming to that final place of maturity, like we're saying as like a kid is, they're, they're developing who the, as to who they're going to be. Glorification is who you are ultimately. You know that's who you are? That is your identity? If you're in Christ and you're saved today, your ultimate identity is that you are that final version of yourself made in the image of Christ. And so we are growing up into that into the image of his son, being made like Jesus. But what's so good about being made into the image of Jesus? Think about who Jesus was. Now, he was God. Should we be gods? No. He was fully man, though. And who was Jesus in his full humanity? Jesus, what it says about him is that he was... He was um, Given the spirit without measure. And I love that phrase, without measure, because that paints this picture of no limits. Jesus was fully united with the nature of the Father with no limits. No hindrances are on him. The, the hindrance of sin that we experience, Jesus didn't have any of those hindrances. He was fully able to enjoy the Father and be completely united with the Father, and his nature was completely and perfectly joined with the Father. That's what it means. I'm going to trip over this thing. I'm just going to get it out of the way. That's why it's so good to be made in the image of Jesus, to be conformed into his image, because this process of growth that we are experiencing, we are also being changed. Our nature is being changed to be united with the nature, the holy nature of God. God is holy. You know, there's the communicable attributes of God and the non-communicable attributes of God. We don't become like God in the sense that, he, that he's omnipresent or omniscient or omnipotent, but we do become like God in the communicable attributes, which are compassion and all the ones like that, right? That is his holiness that we grow into and we are joined with his nature, so the Spirit, as we're beginning to talk about the Spirit, the Spirit also has the same nature as the Father and the Son. So this work that the Spirit does in us 
the same spirit that Jesus had, is this work of conforming our nature to the Father and the Son. You know, the greatest thing that God could ever do for you is make you holy. Do you realize that? That is the greatest thing he could ever do for you. Why? Because he's conforming you into the same image, the same nature that he has. Why? So that you can enjoy him. You can't enjoy somebody that when you're in their presence and you're nothing like each other. You ever try to hang out with somebody who's just too different from you? And you're like, I'm sorry, I uh, just got to go find somebody who's a little bit more like me so we have something in common. You cannot enjoy God without sharing his nature. And so this process that he was, he's forming in you is he is changing your nature so that you can be, your nature is conformed to his so that you can enjoy him forever. In John, in 1 John, it talks about this fellowship and this joining of our nature with the Father. And John says this, he said that we proclaim to you Jesus so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. This process of your nature being conformed to his is to make your joy complete. And as we're kids, kids need childhood development. Good childhood development. And we, as kids, kids of God, children of God, we need childhood development. That doesn't happen without good parenting, attentive parenting. That's exactly what the Holy Spirit does. So this process of growing, as we're talking about sanctification this week, and how the Spirit sanctifies us, this process of growing is called sanctification. That's a theological term. Peter writes in, uh, in his epistle, he said that the elect exiles are, are the elect exiles. It says, quote, according to the foreknowledge of God, the Father, in in sanctification of the Spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ. Um, we're in this sermon series. Um, just so you, some of you may know and some of you may not, we're in this sermon series where we're going through the Holy Spirit. The, last, uh, the, first, the first sermon was just an introduction. Who is the Holy Spirit? Third person of the Trinity. He's a person. Okay, and then last week and this week, we're covering the Holy Spirit in us. Other weeks, we'll cover the Holy Spirit through us, but last week and this week, we're covering the Holy Spirit in us, and, and specifically today, it's the Holy Spirit as he is sanctifying us. So in salvation, and this the distinction between last week and this week, is that in salvation... God made us holy by changing our status from guilty to righteous. In sanctification, though, God continues to make us holy by changing our nature. To boil it down even more, in, sanct in salvation, God makes us holy positionally. In sanctification, God makes us holy practically. God makes us holy practically. 
the Holy Spirit seems to me to be one of the most practical of the, the, the persons of the Trinity. You ever known somebody that's quiet and just super practical? Like you're having a conversation with them and, and you're sharing with them your vision and you're like, this is going to be so awesome and they just look at you just totally, just letting you talk for a half an hour and they, they just ask questions like, how's that going to work? Like, what's step one? What does that look like? Show me, show, like, what now? The Holy Spirit is the one who makes things practical for us. He makes things real for us. He takes everything that the Father planned, your salvation and your sanctification, and takes it and Jesus purchases it, and the Holy Spirit makes it practical and real for you now. The Holy Spirit actualizes everything related to the gospel in your life. Isn't that good news? So, I want to make the case that it is the Holy Spirit, though, that sanctifies us, that changes our nature, and not ourselves. We don't do this. We are not the primary agent. Now, we are involved in the process, and we'll get to that. I want to get through, and I want to make it clear. What is our part in this? But I think first, though, we have to hit the point that it is the Holy Spirit. He is the primary agent. That is in your notes. He is the primary agent of our sanctification and making us holy. The Spirit, not our willpower, brought new life when we were saved. And it is the Spirit who brings new life which causes us to grow. At the moment of your conversion, the Spirit birthed a new child. In the process of your sanctification, the Spirit develops a child. In the moment of your conversion, conversion, the Spirit birthed a child. In the process of your sanctification, the Spirit develops and nurtures a child. He is the primary agent of your spiritual nurturing. Like we said before, good childhood development isn't really done well without very intimately involved parents that are giving custom care, good guidance, and timely teaching. It, it won't happen. Little children don't raise themselves. And when they do, they develop bad habits. We all know that. Some of the bad habits that I have today is because of my childhood development. I developed them then, and I still carry them now. But the Holy Spirit is the primary agent of our growth and sanctification. He's the one who nurtures us. Now, we are involved in the process. We are cooperating with the Holy Spirit, but it's not like a complementarian relationship. Like Sam and I, we're co-pastoring. You know, he has his lane, I have mine, and, but we're equal. In a marriage, you're equal, and you have specifically designed roles. That's not how it is in the whole, with the Holy Spirit in us as the primary agent of our sanctification. He is leading, he is God, We are submitting, and we are following. He transforms us, not ourselves. Um, It'd be a little bit like if Violet, my two-year-old, if I took her with me to pay the mortgage, okay? I got her on my lap, and, 
you know, I'm writing the check and just making sure that she's cooperating. She's not grabbing the pen and like scribbling. She's not grabbing the check and, and tearing it up. She's just cooperating with me, okay? So, all right. So, you want to hold that and, and put it in, you know, fold it up for me and put it in daddy's pocket? Okay, good. All right, let's drive to the mortgage company. And you want to hold it and put it in the slot? Okay, sweet. She's cooperating with me. What, what if I left that to her completely? Okay, like, there you go, Violet, take the check. Write it. I would have <clears throat> a bunch of ripped up, colored on checks all over my house and a house that was given back to the bank. Now, I could be cute and I could say, oh, like, come, come back home after we dropped off the mortgage check and say, look, mommy, like, Violet paid the mortgage. But that's not entirely true. She's cooperating with the one who's responsible for paying the mortgage. In the same way, the Holy Spirit is the primary agent of your sanctification and you cooperate with him. You are not the primary agent of this work of changing your nature and enabling you to enjoy God forever. The Holy Spirit is. Galatians 3.3 says, and this has to do with um, the Galatians were trying to sanctify themselves in their own strength, okay? Galatians 3.3, are you so foolish? Having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? The New Living translation puts it this way, how foolish can you be after starting your new lives in the Spirit why are you now trying to become perfect by your own human effort? Jesus said, it is the spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. Paul declared in Romans, if by the spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. How are you putting to death the deeds of the body? By the spirit. Not you. Not, you are not the primary agent. You can't do it yourself. You can't do this thing called changing your nature and being sanctified yourself. Insert another two-year-old analogy. Violet, she's great. I love her. She's so fun. But she's in this stage, as you know, as a two-year-old, where you're learning what you can do yourself and what you can't do yourself. The other day, it was time to put her shoes on because we need to go somewhere. And her, one of her favorite things to say right now is, no, I can do it myself. <laughs> and so what's fun about that is that, like, how do they learn that they can't do it themselves best? Is, do I, like, you know, pound it in her head, no, you can't. Oh, I could, but letting her fail works so much better. So I'm like, okay, let's put your shoes on. Go for it. Let's take a step back and just kind of watch. And you know what she said like three seconds later? Daddy, you can do it. You can put my shoes on. Another time I can think of where I think we were getting in the bathtub and I was like helping her get undressed so she can take a bath. And she goes, no, I can do it myself. And I said, okay. And then a minute later she goes, Daddy, can you help me? 
And I was like, sure, of course. I think some of you today, maybe many of you, are ready to say, Daddy, to your Heavenly Father, will you help me? Because you're done doing it in your own strength. I'm there all the time, you guys. So, from there, let's jump to John 14. John 14. In light of the fact that we need help in this process of growing, John chapter 14, starting in verse 15, he says, If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And then he says, I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper. Help with what? Well, what did he just say? If you love me, you will keep my commandments. It's no mistake that right after that, he says, I'll give you a helper. What's the help for? What is the helper going to help you with? Loving Jesus, obeying his commandments, growing in holiness. We can't do it ourselves, and Jesus knew that. The Father knew that. That is why he sent the helper. And then it says, to be with you forever. So, I think we've made the case that it is the Holy Spirit, hopefully, It is the Holy Spirit is the primary agent of your sanctification. Now I want to start asking how. How does the Holy Spirit sanctify us? I think that's when we start getting into these questions like, what should I expect the Holy Spirit to do in me? How do I identify this is the Holy Spirit working in me? I want to help with that. I want to help our church with that. So how does, he, how does the Holy Spirit sanctify, sanctify us, and what part do I play? What part do I play? So, though you are not the primary agent of your sanctification, you're not passive either. You don't just let go and let God, okay? You are involved in this process. You are participating. You are cooperating, We do work, we do obey, we do strive, we cooperate with the Spirit, but it's never in place of the Spirit. Philippians 2, 12-13 tells us that um, God tells us to work hard to show the results of our salvation, obeying God with deep reverence and fear. Then it follows, for God is working in you, giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases Him. So do what pleases him while God is doing the work in you to do what pleases him. That is the work of the Spirit. So we don't just empty our minds. We, we, are, we are guided by the holy nature of God while we work and while we pray and while we follow Jesus, 
So I want to help set a biblical expectation for how the Spirit sanctifies. So let's move on to the next part in your notes, which is, with our participation, the Spirit actualizes our holiness through our acts. So first, our attention, then our comprehension. Oh, I forgot my third one. I'll get there. doesn't matter. The Spirit will give it to me when I need it. First, our attention. Our attention. The Spirit is very much interested in your attention. John 16, 14 says about, as Jesus is preparing his disciples for the Holy Spirit coming, he says, He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. The Holy Spirit always glorifies Jesus. How do you know that it's the Holy Spirit? Are you being directed to the glory of Jesus? John 15, let's skip a little bit. If you want to turn there, you can. Starting in verse 26, Jesus says, But when the Helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father... The spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will, listen, bear witness about me. And you also will bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning. So what is the spirit doing? Bearing witness about Jesus. He's bearing witness about Jesus. When you hear the gospel, the Holy Spirit is bearing witness that Jesus is the Christ. He's the Savior, that you need him. He's confirming to you that, that he is Lord. This is who the Holy Spirit is. This is his focus and his, the, the, the attention that he's drawing to Jesus at all times. Um, another one, 2 Corinthians 3, if you want to turn there. 2 Corinthians 3, starting in verse 17. Actually, just do just verse 18. This is really important, you guys. Verse 18, chapter 3 of 2 Corinthians we all, and we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, okay, keep that phrase in mind, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. Did you catch how we're transformed? How we grow? By beholding the glory of the Lord. The Spirit knows more than anyone else that how you grow is by beholding the glory of Jesus. He is constantly putting before you the glory of Jesus. Look at him. Look at how awesome he is. Look at how awesome his redemptive 
power is to save you, to carry you through. Look at Jesus. The Holy Spirit is always doing that. He's always bearing witness about him. He's always causing you to bear witness about him. The Holy Spirit is so Christ-centered. We, we, don't, even, we don't even know. Find my place again. So, as the Holy Spirit is, is bringing and shining this giant spotlight on the person of Jesus constantly for you, our participation with the Spirit is to fight that same battle that the Spirit is fighting in us, and that is for our attention, to be on Christ. You know, we're, we're, we're kind of like smartphones. We have notifications constantly be, being put in front of us. I'm so frustrated with Gmail because it gives me a notification that I got, a, got, a, got an email. I swipe it away, and another one comes up like a minute later. I'm like, no, I told you I didn't want it. The Holy Spirit is constantly doing that to you about Christ. Look at him. Behold him. And so our participation is, you know when you actually want that notification, what do you do? You go click. And then you linger. So do that with Christ. When the Holy Spirit's like, look at him. Look at him and gaze at him and gaze at his glory. Because through that, you're going to be transformed. The Bible also tells us that when we see him, we will be like him. So beholding his glory face-to-face in person is going to do something to us that like, boom, we're going to be like him. Next, our comprehension. How the spirit with our participation actualizes our holiness through our acts, through our comprehension. And here, I want to think about the Spirit's ministry in creating the Bible. You guys ever thought about this? This is so exciting. I just, this, this has been like the kick that I've been on for the last couple weeks. Think about the ministry of the Spirit in putting together the Bible, okay? You have, okay, you have 66 books, 40 authors, over a span of 1,500 years, all with one singular, unified message about the gospel and one author, God the Spirit. 2 Timothy 3.16 says, All scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable for, catch this, this is our formation, you guys, for teaching and reproof and correction and training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete and equipped for every good work. All scripture is God-breathed. You know, uh, this, this word, God-breathed, is one word. It's actually a combination between the word God and the word for spirit. So it's like God-pneuma, basically. The word for spirit is pneuma. It's the same word that when you see the, Holy, the, the word Holy Spirit used or the name Holy Spirit used, it's pneuma. So this, God breathed, is 
basically taking two Greek words and squishing them together and saying, God breathed, God pneuma, God's breath. So it's no mistake here that he's saying that this word, this God-breathed word, this Holy Spirit, another translation says inspired. I don't think inspired quite catches it because when I think about inspired, I think about like I was inspired to write a song. But it's more than that. It's breathing life. 2 Peter 1.21 says, For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man. And this is talking about the prophecy where the prophets or the apostles speak and write down scripture. No prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Ephesians 6.17 tells us that the word of God is the sword of the Spirit. 1 Corinthians 2, if you want to turn there, you can. I'm going to read it to you. 1 Corinthians 2, starting in verse 7. Paul is basically here, he, he's basically just saying, look, I'm coming to you and I'm declaring to you these things. And he's kind of unpacking like I'm, what, I'm, what, I, what he's imparting to them. Okay, so let's start in verse 7, 1 Corinthians chapter 2. He says, but we impart a secret and hidden wisdom from God, which God decreed before the ages for our glory. None of the rulers of this age understood this, for they, if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. Keep going. But as it is written, what no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him. Verse 10. These things God has revealed to us through the Spirit. What things? What things? What things did, did, were re- revealed through the Spirit? What things were kept secret? What are the things that no eye has seen, no ear has heard, and no heart imagined that God prepared for those who love him? The gospel. So the apostles and the prophets, they wrote down and revealed these mysteries of the gospel so that we can read it and comprehend it and understand it and be edified by it and grow by it. The mysteries of the gospel are here, you guys, and we're transformed by it. We're actually told to be transformed in Romans chapter 12. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed... It's a process of sanctification, you guys, being transformed. But be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is the good and acceptable, what is good and acceptable and perfect. So our participation with the Spirit is to fill our minds with the word that the Spirit breathed out. And let it continually renew us, continually breathe life into us. That life that was breathed into you at conversion is continually breathed into you through this process of the Spirit 
changing your nature, that your nature is changed through this renewal, this life. So we pick up the sword of the Spirit, we fill our minds with the living and active word. That is how we participate with him. And we're purified and we grow. So next, we, we participate through our tension. Tension. So we all know that we're living in an imperfect world. We're living in a broken world, a fallen world. And there's a lot of tension that goes with that. There's a lot of struggle. There's trial. And let's go back to Romans chapter 8. Now, it is 11.14. I'm not even close to being done. So I guess I think we might skip our, um, our, our breaking up into circles, you guys. But I just think that this is, this is super important for us to go through as a church. So I'm not going to stop my sermon. Um, I'm just going to keep going, but I'm going to try my best to, to speed through the rest. <laughs> that must have been Levi. So the tension, the tension that we feel as we're living in this broken world, let's go to Romans chapter 8, if you're not there yet. It's where we started. We're going to kind of put, put together the context here. Let's start in verse 18. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. Now remember, guys, remember that at the very beginning, we talked about glorification. This is what it's talking about. It's talking about as we are in this present time of suffering, the glory that is being revealed to us. Okay, let's keep reading. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subject to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be set free from the bondage of corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies." For in this hope we are saved. Now hope that, is, um, hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. All right, let's keep going. We're, we're almost there. And that's a lot of reading. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groaning too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, and that's where we started. So that's the connection. That's the context for when we first read that. Now let me see if I can try to unpack this super quick. 
The Holy Spirit always directs our groans to the Father. We're all groaning. It just said, all of creation is groaning. We are groaning ourselves. We are longing for this thing that is called adoption and glorification and that final stage of glorification. And we're finally mature. We're not, we don't have to go through this process of, of being broken again and being disciplined again and having to, to encounter sickness and death, right? And we're all groaning in it. The Holy Spirit... And it actually says in Galatians 4, 6, it says, Because we are sons, God has sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So the Holy Spirit is always directing your cries to the Father. Now, I think our participation in that is that we also cooperate with the Spirit and direct our cries to the Father. We direct, we direct our groans to the Father. There's a lot of different ways that we can deal with our groaning. Not grumbling. Groaning, where you're just like, oh, I don't know what to do with this. And the Spirit working in you is saying, cry out to God. Cry out to Him. Don't talk to your neighbor and slander and backbite about your frustration. Go to the Father and pray to Him. Go to Him about your frustrations. So, our participation with the Spirit is to unleash our Abba Fathers. Because that's what He's doing in us. And finally, our suspension. Suspension. There's a lot of Scripture that... um, you know, I, I'm not even touched the tip of the iceberg, really, of all that the Spirit does in us. But suffice it to say that a lot of it speaks of Him teaching. The Holy Spirit teaches us and leads us. And as the Holy Spirit leads, He simultaneously suspends all other leaders, including ourselves. As he teaches, as one teacher stands up to teach, all the rest of the teachers have to sit down so that the teacher can teach. You know that the old you, your flesh, your, your, your old identity, is like a bratty little kid in a classroom that needs to sit down and shut up. So in order for you to cooperate with the Spirit, you are going to need to purposefully tell your old nature to sit down and be quiet, and you're in suspension, you're in detention. There's no place for you here. I'm not going to listen to you. You have to intentionally do that. You have to intentionally silence the voices that don't agree with the teaching of Christ, with the teaching of His commands. Stop filling your head with what you know you want to hear, And listen to what the Holy Spirit is saying, and that is the commands of God, the commands that align with his holiness, and the character that is being built in you. It's like a four-way intersection. You know, everybody has to stop except for the one car that goes. Your sinful flesh, what you want for your life that is in contradiction to God's will for your life, has to stop And you have to let the Spirit 
enter the intersection. Stephen, right before he was killed, he said to his persecutors, you always resist the Spirit. The Bible also tells us not to quench the Spirit or to grieve the Spirit. As the Spirit is teaching you, as the Spirit is leading you, don't suspend Him. Don't hold Him back. Don't allow other teachers to, to, to go ahead and other messages to go ahead. And when you do this, you're going to see the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, and self-control. As we let our sinful flesh, as we let the, the little... The, the old nature, the bratty kid, as you let him forward, what, here's what you're going to see. Sexual immorality, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, pride, gossip, slander, covetousness, malice, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness, and drunkenness. That's the works of the flesh. Those are the works of the flesh. We are called to be separate. Holiness is being separate. That is, that is separating ourselves and stepping aside and submit to the work of the Spirit in our sanctification. So in conclusion... Think we have time? Four circles. If I close right now. In conclusion, we're kids. We're kids. God knows we're kids, but he also knows that we're growing into this version of ourselves that is in conformity with the person of Christ so that we can enjoy him forever. And this process of you cooperating with him into his image. I'm not finishing my sentence there because now I'm thinking whether we should do groups or not. <laughs> All right, so let's pray. Let's just ask the, the, the Holy Spirit and the Lord to, uh, to take the rest of our time and to carry this momentum. God, um, I just ask that, that, you would, that you would lead the rest of this time God, would you um, actualize our holiness even in our conversation? Make it real for us. Make it applicable for us that we can know how you are leading us and teaching us and forming us and maturing us. God, make your church mature based on your holy character. In Jesus' name, amen.